Welcome to the Fair Talks podcast, where we educate everyday people for extraordinary change. I'm your host, Alicia Chan, Executive Director of Fair Trade LA, a community of business members, nonprofits, and fair trade enthusiasts driving proactive, sustainable solutions for a fairer world. I'm also a social entrepreneur with a passion for ending poverty and creating dignified jobs. Together, we'll explore how fair trade changes lives and communities and what we can do to address some of the world's biggest problems right in our own homes. Let's dive in. Fair Talks is brought to you by Fair Trade USA, the organization that brings you the Fair Trade certified label. Fairtrade USA is committed to building an innovative model of responsible business, conscious consumerism, and shared value to eliminate poverty and enable sustainable development for farmers, workers, their families, and communities around the world. According to the International Labor Organization, 50 million people were living in human trafficking situations in 2021. This has increased by 10 million over the last five years. 25 million were in forced labor, and 63% of which includes sex trafficking victims, and 22 million were trapped in forced marriage. And according to the 2021 Federal Human Trafficking Report, since 2000, U.S. traffickers have recruited 55% of sex trafficking victims online, usually through social media platforms, web-based messaging apps, online chat rooms, dating apps, classified advertisements, or job boards. It is scary when you think about the way human trafficking is growing and expanding and intruding into all the different channels and platforms we use today. And I believe in order for us to combat this global issue, and may I say crisis, we must combat it in creative, innovative, and holistic ways. The past few years, I've really enjoyed working alongside this fellow organization that is doing amazing work to end trafficking holistically. Their approach is so creative and so effective, allowing everyday people to get involved in this heavy and monstrous issue. And I'm so excited to share their work with you this week. You may have seen some of your friends wear a dress every day in December, and that's because they are an advocate for this campaign, this movement called Dressember. Dressember is a community of international advocates utilizing fashion and creativity to end human trafficking. They are fighting back against human trafficking in a dress or a tie. And since 2013, they have successfully raised over $16 million. Curious about how all this works? Today, you're in for a treat. We're having a conversation with the founder and CEO of Dressember, Blythe Hill. Iowa-born, Seattle-raised, and SoCal transplanted, Blythe created Dressember as a style challenge in 2009 while pursuing her master's in English at Cal State Fullerton. After seeing interest from friends and friends of friends, she decided to align Dressember with human trafficking and injustice she learned of years earlier. In 2013, Dressember became an anti-trafficking campaign raising over 165,000 US dollars. Blythe oversees the strategic vision of the organization and is increasingly interested in the overlap between labor trafficking and the apparel industry, as well as the efforts to speed up intervention time for victims. Blythe is passionate about restoring dignity to women around the world. Let's dive in. Well, welcome, Blythe. Thank you so much for jumping in this conversation with me. Yeah. Hi, Alicia. Thanks for having me. 
you know, our work has been aligned and we've been doing it together for so long and I'm so excited to be able to share it with the world. <laughs> yeah, so I guess before we even get started with Dressember and everything, I want to know when and how did you discover your passion and calling to end human trafficking? Like bring us back to the very beginning, the early days when this was all birthed. Yeah, I was probably about 20 years old. I was a college student and really just came across, I don't even remember how, like it feels like an accident that I just literally stumbled on a news article about sex trafficking in India. And I had never heard of this before. It just like stopped me in my tracks. I was horrified and I mm. felt a sense of urgency that I had never felt before. Like, oh my gosh, this is, this is awful. I've got to do mm. something to stop this. And it was, this was like 2005. So this was not really a time when a lot of people were talking about human right. trafficking. I'm glad to say that that's changed a lot, but at the time mm. it was just like, what, what is happening? And why is no one talking about this? Right. Why, why did I just accidentally find out about this? So yeah, it just, from the jump really stirred something in me where I felt like, yeah, this sense of personal urgency to do something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's amazing. And, but tell us, so tell us how this, I guess, style challenge got started. Sure. Yeah. Let's see around two, it was 2009. I was in grad school at this point and I did my master's in English. So I was reading an insane amount. I was just buried in books and papers and academia, and I didn't have any breathing room. I didn't have mm -hmm. any free time. I, mm -hmm. you know, it was just like school, homework, work, sleep, mm -hmm. repeat. Mm -hmm. And so I found myself really kind of struggling with the lack of a creative outlet. I'm someone who, you know, it's very therapeutic for me to bake or knit or collage mm -hmm. or like, you know, makes be making something with my hands. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any free time to do any of that. And so I remember thinking like, okay, well, I have to get dressed every day and that's a chance to be creative. So because I know creativity thrives in limitation, what if I only wore dresses for wow. an entire month? And I was like, oh, that, that could be fun. You know, <laughs> that could be a yeah. fun thing to try. And I was in Southern California. So I had this idea in November and a month of dresses in December is possible in Southern California. Yeah. <laughs> or like, wait, true. why, why would you, why would you decide to wear dresses in December? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the first time I said the full sentence, you know, I'm going to wear only dresses in December. I was like, Oh, dress ember. Oh, that's so I fun. love. Yeah. I love puns. I love wordplay. Mm -hmm. And I think especially being in my grad program at the time was just like immersed in language mm -hmm. and the power of language. And so, yeah, just came up with the name Dress Ember and was like, wow, now I have to do it because that's such a good name. I did have a blog at the time on Blogger, Blogspot with a really small following. And so that's where I posted my daily photos. But yeah, it was just like a fun style challenge without any cause or campaign element behind mm -hmm. it. And it was really just meant to be a one-time thing. It was just like, oh, mm -hmm. this is a this is just something fun to do, like, you know, as an outlet. 
And then the next year, some of my friends wanted to do it. And I really just thought that they were kind of humoring me or maybe just also kind of bored. (laughs) And (laughs) so I was like, okay, let's do it again. And then the year after that, my friends' friends wanted to join in. And so people that I either knew as acquaintances or had never met who had seen their friends do it the previous year wanted to be part of it. And at that point I was like, Oh, this isn't just, yeah, this isn't just my friends humoring me. People like this idea. Like there's something sticky here that people like. And Mm -hmm. so that's when I started dreaming about turning it into something more, but I kind of struggled with what to do with it. Like, you know, how to kind of monetize it, I guess, for lack of a better word, or, or even like, even keep track of who all was participating. Right. Um, But a friend of mine was like, Hey, you've heard of Movember, right? Like the Movember campaign is raising millions of dollars through men growing mustaches Mm. in November. Like Mm -hmm. maybe December could be a fundraiser for a cause. And first I was really dubious. I was like, I don't know. Like, you know, there were a lot of fundraisers at the time and there still are that are like physical challenges, like biking a long distance or running a marathon or walking all day, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, we're, we're just getting dressed, you know, I I don't know if people are really going to donate, but the Movember model did kind of challenge my thinking on it. I was like, okay, if a bunch Mm -hmm. of men can raise millions of dollars by growing facial hair, then there's a good chance that this could work. Mm -hmm. And so it took me another couple of years to really like put it together. But in its fifth year, which was 2013, I turned December into a fundraising campaign for anti-trafficking work. Wow. That's incredible to hear all that, that led to what December is today. That's incredible. So for our listeners who may not know what December is, can you give us a brief overview of how this style challenge fundraiser works now and how everyday people can become advocates to fight human trafficking? Definitely. Yeah. So December is a month long challenge where you commit to wearing either a dress or now also ties we've added. Mm -hmm. So you can wear a dress or a tie every day during the month of December as a way to raise awareness and funding for anti-trafficking programs across the world. We've had thousands of tens of thousands of people participate from well, every continent except Antarctica and something like 70 countries. Yeah. So people are joining in and getting really creative and it's a peer-to-peer fundraising campaign. So you just sign up, make a page on our website, set a goal for how much you want to try to raise. And we have suggested impact amounts. And then the important part is telling people in your life, this is what I'm doing and why Mm -hmm. I'm doing it. Because if you live in a cold climate, people will notice, but if you live in kind of a milder climate, they might not notice that you're wearing a dress every day in December. A lot of people in Australia were like, it's summer. (laughs) So it's pretty easy to participate down there. But we have pins that say, ask me about my dress. I love those pins. Like different collateral to help people and ready to share graphics and statistics. And yeah, it's really an easy, fun way to engage in a really heavy, horrifying Mm -hmm. issue that not a lot of people want to talk about. So it's actually a really like nice non-threatening entry point for a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are maybe overwhelmed by the reality of the scale and scope of the injustice. 
Yeah, I absolutely love that literally anyone can get involved in this. And I think it's so empowering for advocates to be able to say, I can take part in tackling such a big you know, evil in the world. And I also love just seeing people wear dresses to work out. I saw that people were even wearing a dress to ski. <laughs> um, They're so fun. <laughs> so yeah. people are getting really creative. Yeah, one of the hashtags we use is you can do anything in a dress. And so, yeah, people have posted like skiing, snowboarding, rock climbing, horseback riding, changing a car battery, giving blood, mm -hmm. all these like really amazing, creative and empowering things. I love that part of it. I just love the community that Dressember has created as well. Yeah. Yeah. So if people want ideas, just look up that hashtag yeah. and check it out on Instagram. So as someone who loves being on the grounds, like, you know, seeing the impact on the grounds, I'm very interested in the impact side of things. So let's talk about the different programs Dressember supports. I love that Dressember's programming is centered around four pillars, trying to tackle human trafficking from all fronts. So one is advocacy. One is prevention, another one's intervention, and the fourth one is survivor empowerment. So I would love to learn about this other side where once the advocates raise money and raise awareness to fight human trafficking, how, I guess, the funding is distributed to the different organizations and what are some of the impact you've seen there? Yeah, definitely. So we currently partner with about 20 organizations across the U.S. and across the world that fall under one or sometimes more than one of those pillars. Those mm -hmm. are our focus areas, but sometimes programs, you know, cross, mm -hmm. cross pillars. Um, and yeah, we, we take a really holistic approach where we're not just focusing on prevention or we're not mm -hmm. just focusing on aftercare. We're really seeing it as a full issue and, and a, trying to address it strategically from every angle and hopefully one day in every part of the world. So that's the goal. So yeah, the funding that we raise through the campaign and throughout the year through our other smaller campaigns and fundraising opportunities or just gifts that come in throughout the year, we are granting most of it out pretty quickly to the partners that we work with locally and internationally. So when we talk about specifically prevention, we have um, partners in foster care who are working directly with some of the most vulnerable youth. There's a pretty clear pipeline, unfortunately, mm -hmm. from foster, the foster system to not just human trafficking, but a number of other kind of social issues like homelessness or incarceration or drug addiction. And so focusing on this incredibly vulnerable population, education, empowerment, job readiness, mm -hmm. economic opportunities, overall stability, adult, healthy adult mentorship. There's just a lot of great programming happening within within our foster care partners. We also partner with a couple amazing organizations that work with homeless and runaway youth, mm -hmm. big population wow. of which are LGBTQ youth that have mm -hmm. run away, maybe from families that have rejected them. They're engaging in survival sex in order to meet their basic needs, but by definition as minors are being trafficked, even though they may not have a direct trafficker. So providing support services for those kids who are either exposed to the opportunity to be trafficked and exceptionally vulnerable or who have maybe already had a history in and out of that life. 
in intervention, we are focusing on speeding up intervention times. So Mm -hmm. there's a statistic we read years ago that the average survivor of trafficking could have had an intervention Mm -hmm. seven times before he or she did. And those opportunities usually are within interactions with transportation employees. Mm -hmm. So airlines, Uber drivers, bus drivers, that sort of thing or doctors, nurses, hotel staff. So part of our intervention strategy is training what we call those like frontline industry workers to spot, to identify the signs and then partner with law enforcement for a safe and dignified intervention to hopefully speed up those those intervention times. I think a lot of us think that we would know how to recognize human trafficking if we saw it in front of us, but unfortunately, there's still a lot of sensationalism around the Mm -hmm. issue. And so within these industries, like hotel staff in particular, they, at the trainings, they take a survey at the beginning of of the training session, the majority of them say they've never seen it. And then by the end, after, after they go through Mm. the training, they realize like, oh, I I actually have seen this quite a few times. And there's sometimes the guilt of, man, I I could have done something, but the hope is now, now that you have the tools and, and especially the tools for safe and dignified intervention and hotels in particular love this because it's also taught in a way that's going to preserve the, the like image of the hotel from a PR perspective. So yeah, that's that's a bit of the, the intervention piece on the aftercare side. We're really, you know, obviously care a lot about quality, like the safe and dignified trauma therapy and recovery programs, but then super important step on the other end of that is the services that are going to enable sustained liberation. Mm -hmm. So we want to make sure that freedom is not a moment in time. Statistics tell us that many victims end up being re-exploited, that trafficking is is a cycle of exploitation. And so a big part of breaking that cycle is economic opportunity and, and financial stability and we launched one of our first internal programs, uh, which is a scholarship fund to provide direct unrestricted funding to survivors who are at the end of their sort of healing journey and ready for the next step, which is pursuing their vocational dreams mm. and ultimately economic stability, financial independence. Yeah. That's a bit about, about that wow. piece of the program. That's so incredible. And it's so crucial to tackle this holistically because there's no one, you know, one thing we can do that will just end it all, but you have to be able to create support system from all fronts. And yeah, I love, I've started noticing more, I guess, posters at the airports, educating people about, you know, noticing that, like raising awareness for that. And that's so important. I love that. Yeah. I mean, definitely like in the last five years, it's become more of a, more of a conversation, I think nationally and and something more and more people are are aware of. And then I think there's still kind of the the piece, the education piece of um, like, okay, people, people know what human traffic, they, they might think they know what human trafficking is and what it might look like. We're no longer sort of needing to introduce people from, mm-hmm. from zero there, maybe, you know, at one or two, but then it's like, 
people, educating them beyond the misinformation and the sensationalism out there around, you know, abduction or kidnapping as a primary form of trafficking recruitment when it's really Mm -hmm. statistically the minority of cases. Yeah. And Dressember really has helped educate and raise awareness and transform the conversation the past few years. So thank you. This is incredible to see. So how many organizations have you funded so far? How many countries has been, has the fund reached so far? Yeah, great questions. I think, I think to date we've partnered with about 25 organizations and then in terms of countries, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do some fast, <laughs> some fast counting. Cause it's okay. A good chunk of our funding stays local in the U S but then we have had three or four central and South American partners. And then mm. one partner in Africa, maybe five in Southeast Asia. See, my math probably isn't going to add up with the number of partners that I said that we had, but, and then Bulgaria, Romania, UK. Yeah. I already mentioned India. So a lot of countries. Yeah. I mean, I would love to just, yeah, hit every single country, every city, but it's it's going to happen. (laughs) Yes. It's an amazing start. So if you've raised about a total of 16 million, is that right? Yeah, since 2013, we have raised 16 million. Sorry to interrupt, but we got to tell you this. Did you know that Fairtrade LA led the campaign that officially designated Los Angeles the largest fair trade city in North America and the fourth largest in the world? We are a nonprofit that exists because of the support from people like you. Become a Fairtrade LA monthly donor to ensure this educational content reaches as many people as possible. Go to Fairtrade LA slash donate to pledge your support. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Let's get back to the episode. Primarily through this campaign. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. That's truly incredible. I mean, just that's the power of everyone coming together for uh, this important cause. So yeah, it's wild to think that you started the style challenge yourself in 2009 and then 2013 just ever became an official anti-trafficking campaign. And in 2013, you raised 165,000. And then in 2016, you raised 1 million. That was a, I'm sure that was a huge mile marker right there. And then 2020, you raised 3 million, even in the midst of the pandemic. So I'm curious, at what point on this journey did you realize something is working? Like, December is working. We're we're doing something right. When was, was oh my there gosh. a moment? <laughs> I mean, day three. <laughs> so my my initial goal for that very first fundraising season was $25,000, which mm. felt huge. It felt like, oh my gosh, this is super ambitious. Right. This is just like this is wild, but like, maybe we can do it. Maybe we can come close and, you know, every dollar matters. So Mm. it'll be okay if we only raise a few thousand. And then we, day three is when we hit my, my big goal. And then we raised 165,000 that month. And so, I mean, pretty much from that moment on, I was like, oh, this is, this is a much better idea than I realized. Mm -hmm. This is resonating with people. A lot of people feel the way that I felt, which is, super passionate, but also pretty powerless to do anything, you know, wanting Mm -hmm. to take tangible action, but not really having anything to do. I mean, for good reason, you know, you need 
a number of qualifications to engage directly with victims and survivors. But being a student with not a lot in my bank account to give, Mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, I guess the best I can do is hope that one day I'll have a job where I can give a good Mm -hmm. amount. So yeah, I think Dressember gave, it gave me, it gave thousands of other people a tangible action to take and an outlet for the passion that we have. That is such an inspiring story because I, I feel the same way where I see a cause and I just think, oh, maybe one day I'll make enough money where I can, you know, donate. But honestly, at the end of the day, it's about being a voice, like speaking out and letting people know about this need. And I believe it's through all of us coming together where we could really make change as we see here in December. I mean, $16 million later, it really takes all of us coming together. So Dress Summer, just such an inspiration. Yeah. Now that I'm on this side of the nonprofit world, you know, like on the the inside operations, I see that like, you know, a monthly $5, $10 gift does make a difference. Like, I mean, to your point, like when a whole group of people come together in, in shared support of an issue, like, I mean, the the average donation to dress ember is around forty dollars. It's not huge, and mm-hmm. and yet we have raised sixteen million dollars. You know, yeah. like these things add up, and yeah. so yeah, it's really it's really shown me the power of individual actions yeah. and the power of the collective when those small actions are compounded yeah. together. Incredible. Now December is so much more than a style challenge. It is definitely a place where people come for reliable information, whether it's statistics on trafficking or resources on how to shop fair trade to fight labor trafficking. So tell us some of the resources December has created. Yeah, we have an ethical fashion directory, a big part of what we do since we're such a fashion driven campaign and becoming aware really early on of the overlap, unfortunately, between fashion and labor trafficking. Mm -hmm. It's become kind of our secondary mission to educate people on that overlap and encourage them to begin making even baby steps towards ethical and fair trade consumption choices. And so a big part of doing that is providing a whole directory of brands that you can feel good about buying from. And often we have unique discount codes for those brands and always direct relationships with the brands and a set of criteria that they, that they, we ensure, and they Mm -hmm. (laughs) ensure that they, they meet in order to be part of our directory. So that's one. We have a blog with probably thousands of articles at this point. Mm. There were several years where we had a blog a day, like a blog post a day coming out. So we were just a content machine. There's so much great educational content on anything from the overlap with foster care to the nuances of, of sex work versus trafficking, you know, Mm -hmm. to 10 documentaries to watch this month about trafficking or, you know, just all sorts of different great like keyword searchable posts in our, in our blog. We launched the podcast recently. We just released our revamped campaign resources. So a fresh 31 days of statistics for people to post with ready to post graphics that go alongside Mm -hmm. them for the month of December, different guides, like how to lead a team for December Mm -hmm. or how to host a screening of our 
17 minute documentary that we made last year. We have so many resources because yeah. that's a big part of our job is like, okay, right. we want to educate people. And we also want to make this, you know, sort of scary thing, which is fundraising. I mean, I was never a fundraiser, so it's mm -hmm. kind of funny that I've ended up in this position, but if we can like demystify fundraising, if we can make it less intimidating, like we yeah. just want to make it as easy as possible for people to talk about Dressember mm -hmm. and human trafficking, and then to see fundraising as offering an invitation to be involved in the impact. Yeah, I appreciate that. You make it more relatable and easy for people to get involved. Yeah, so I really appreciate that you guys also tackle labor trafficking and focus on ethical fashion because so much of human trafficking, people think sex trafficking, yeah. which is a big part of it. But labor trafficking is also keeping many people enslaved around the world and it's through things that we buy. So I appreciate that you guys also focus on that. And I also watched the documentary. It's amazing. So people definitely Thanks. need to watch that if they haven't. But I'm actually really excited to talk about this new project Dressember has taken on, which is the new podcast you just mentioned. And it's called Things Survivors Wish They Knew. And it was launched in the beginning of October, where you feature conversations with survivors of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation. And these are definitely stories that are very difficult and heartbreaking to hear, but tell us why it is so important and vital to hear from the survivor's perspective. Yeah, I think, well, I want to acknowledge, I think a lot of people will listen to it expecting to hear stories of these survivors trafficking experiences. And we very consciously decided that's not what we wanted to do. That actually can be really re-traumatizing for a lot of survivors. At the very least, it can be kind of stigmatizing or tokenizing a survivor's story. And so what we wanted to do is bring in survivors and have conversations with them as experts and leaders mm -hmm. in this space or like an alternative title that survivors like to go by as lived experience expert, because that's mm -hmm. exactly what they are. So these conversations are incredibly insightful conversations about some of these individuals' experiences within the anti-trafficking sector. So good or bad, re-traumatizing in some cases, but a, overall a call for us in the space to do better in the ways that we talk about victims and survivors and anti-trafficking work in general, the way that we approach programmatic services, the way that we do or do not compensate survivors for their time and labor in the space and beyond. But like, especially in this space is where we need mm -hmm. to be leading that charge. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty diverse group of people. And yet a lot of common themes come up with survivor inclusion and compensation, the importance of financial stability in achieving and maintaining freedom, how important financial independence and stability is in that equation. And mm -hmm. a lot of things that we talk about I mean, I look back and I think like, oh, these are common sense things. Like how, how fundamental is a job in my life in order yeah. for me to be able to live with autonomy and have 
you know, the freedom to send my child to school and, and drive a car to pick him up and, you know, just some, some really basic things. So yeah, it's a really powerful and hopefully, I mean, I think a really fresh and needed approach to survivor engagement and we spent a lot of time and energy on it. So I hope mm-hmm. everyone will will go listen to at least the first episode. Yeah. We do give trigger warnings or content warnings with, you know, kind of a general idea of what the episode contains in those mm-hmm. cases. But for the most part, they're they're pretty intellectual conversations about yeah. the the issue from a high level. Yeah, I encourage people to go listen because I feel like if anyone wants to get involved whether in small scale or large scale on making a difference in this area, we have to have the solution be survivor led. It has to come from them because they know best what they need, you know, and we, we can't come up with the solutions ourselves. We have to be in partnership with them. So I love that you created a platform for that. So now looking towards the future, what do you hope to see for the future of Dressember? Where do you hope this movement is going to go? Yeah, I would love to see our community continue to grow and continue to spread accurate, reliable information. I've been so proud to see the community do that in the past. And I think given the increased interest in human trafficking on a national level, there's definitely an opportunity for our community to grow and really spread reliable data, like I said. Mm. So I get excited about that. And then obviously would come alongside that would be an increase in funding, which ultimately Mm. means an increase in our impact. And so being able to spread our impact to more cities and more countries and ultimately impact more individual lives and communities is really exciting to me. Yeah. I can't wait. I know this movement is just going to keep growing. I am excited to be a part of it. So we love to end every episode with a fun question. So we would like to know what is your favorite or current favorite fair trade product? Such a good question. I think like, so thinking about this, the staple fair trade products, there's of course like, a you know, the cute dress or yeah. like, products or even like Christmas decor. I love seeing all the brands coming out with their like holiday decor, but my like everyday staple must have is fair trade coffee. Yes. And then I guess I would sort of add as a sidecar, like fair, fair trade chocolate or like cocoa powder. Yeah. Yes. I know those are definitely must haves (laughs) and staples at my house too. (laughs) So we've obviously covered a lot of ground today. I hope more people will join the Dressember campaign this year. And there's so many different areas that our listeners can participate in in this fight against trafficking. But we always want to make sure that our listeners walk away with one simple action step they can take at the end of every conversation. So what is something you would like to encourage our listeners to do to make this world a better and a more fair, a more kind place to live? That's such a great question. I think the people who are listening to your podcast have probably taken a number of actions that maybe I'll bypass because those would Mm -hmm. be like general public recommendations. But for this Mm -hmm. crowd, I mean, selfishly, I'll make a plug for Dressember, like being, being part of Dressember is 
truly so fun and like mysteriously transformative in your own life. I can't even explain it, but the act of like putting on a dress or a tie every day for a month, like there's something intangible about that tangible experience. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of part one of my answer. And then I think part two is, well, the word kind in that question just really stands out to me. So I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, anything we can do to make this world a more kind place to me, that starts with empathy, really Mm -hmm. like pausing and well, honestly, for me, taking on the discipline of this mindset of like, everyone is doing the best they can with what they've been dealt. And so Mm -hmm. I think kindness starts with empathy. And sometimes empathy starts with just like assuming that we're all doing the best we can with what we've been given and what Mm -hmm. we have in front of us. Yeah, that's beautiful. And to me, yeah, putting the act of putting on a dress, the act of putting on a tie is a way to just put a pause in your day to create that empathy and that solidarity with Mm -hmm. survivors. So thank you for creating this platform. (laughs) It's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being part of the community. Yeah. Thank you for everything you've done. And um, thank you. I guess I want to say thank you to the Dressember community, everyone who has taken part in this so far. So we will definitely make sure to include all the links to the ethical fashion directory, the new podcast and more in our show notes. So you guys, all of our listeners will be able to find that there, but thank you Blythe for your time. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Oh yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed learning about the ins and outs of how December campaign works. If you want to learn more, they're celebrating their 10 year anniversary and hosting documentary screenings throughout the country. Visit dressember.org slash events to find a location near you. If you are in the Los Angeles area, you can come celebrate with Dressember on November 30th at As We Dwell in the Arts District of Downtown Los Angeles and receive a free pouch from the Tote Project. As always, all the links will be provided in our show notes at fairtradela.org slash podcasts. I want to thank the creative team behind the Fair Talks podcast, our executive producer, Julia Bucquerel, our editor, Caden Sullivan, our marketing team, Jasmine French, Elena Alcero, and Lizzie Case. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fair Talks podcast. Thank you for being a part of our community and sharing the fair trade message. Thank you again to our sponsor, Fairtrade USA, for making this possible. Now, are you ready to create change? The next time you're out shopping, just pick up one fair trade item to buy, like coffee, chocolate, or bananas, and make a difference. Ask your office, church, business, school, or your family to shop more fair. If you have any questions or want to learn more, head over to fairtradela.org podcast for show notes, discount codes, and additional resources. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And follow us on social media at FairTradeLA to join our amazing community of fair trade lovers. Tune in to our next Fair Talks conversation to hear more life-changing stories. Thanks for listening.